0: Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The secret revealed in the life of Lacey Schwartz, born in 1987 to a white family in rural upstate New York, where she grew up, is that her biological father was black. The few who knew her truth remained silent until after her first year of college when she asked her mother why she looked the way she did. Lacey Schwartz is the producer and director of the film Little White Lie with a website at littlewhiteliethefilm.com. Little White Lie will be shown at the Mendocino Film Festival on Friday, May 29, 2015 at 5.30 p.m. in the village of Mendocino, California. Lacey Schwartz and I visited by phone from her home near New York City on May 11, 2015. First, we hear a clip of Lacey's voice taken from the introduction of her film, Little White Lie, and later we intersperse our conversation with other cuts from the film.
1: I come from a long line of New York Jews. I'm the great granddaughter of Eastern European immigrants who brought their culture and traditions to Brooklyn. The daughter of a nice Jewish girl and a nice Jewish boy. I grew up in a world with synagogue, Hebrew school, bar mitzvahs. My family knew who they were, and they defined who I was. So it never occurred to me that I was passing. I wasn't pretending to be something I wasn't. Actually grew up believing I was
2: white. I did grow up being white et cetera, et cetera, but it was even that in and of itself was um, kind of it was almost like a racial neutrality more than it was about like I think with a lot of people that uh, whiteness is is not kind of overt. it's almost like the um absence of blackness really the absence of, not the presence of something. So I think, you know, for me, what, you know, kind of, it was more about, like, gaining a racial consciousness and awareness.
0: What did you gain?
2: Just being aware that some people were living in a racialized experience, that their race was ex- affecting not only how other people treated them, but their perspective, their history, their connection to other people, you know, that they actually lived a racialized experience.
0: Did... The- uh, have you had that experience since that time?
2: Um, did, I, did I have a racialized You know, it's interesting. I think that I probably was having a racialized experience to a certain degree because of the context of where I grew up. It was like we just didn't talk about race, so I was very aware of my difference, but it's almost like I didn't have the, term, the words to describe it.
0: Yet, not talking about it, uh, the conclusion that I drew uh, from your film... Little White Lie, was that uh, many people in your family knew except you.
2: Well, I think that, you know, one of the biggest themes in my film is about the power of denial. What I was interested in looking at was the anatomy of denial, kind of how, what makes up denial, and that there were different phases to it. And everybody kind of existed in their own timeline of that denial, so there were periods of time where something new and I didn't know. But it's not necessarily that it was kind of like from day one everyone knew and I didn't know. In fact, as I really believe, I mean, I think you know the story of the, my great grandfather. Like there were periods of time where my family really did. Even my mom. I mean, I think my mom's denial was the shortest of everyone. But even my mom, I think, kind of believed at a certain points that my father was my father.
0: When do you think that perception changed in your mother's mind?
2: I mean, I think when I was fairly young, I don't, I don't have a specific date. I think uh, to the degree that she still had a relationship with my biological father, I think as she says that she, he uh, was kind of one of the first people to kind of say, you know, point it out to her. But I don't know exactly when. I mean, when I was fairly young, probably, I, don't, I have no idea, two, three, I don't know.
0: So I remember in, in uh, the film, Little White Lie, your visits to New York City, you happened to be on a street corner and you happened to meet Rodney, your biological mm-hmm. father, when you were there with your mother. Mm-hmm. Did the repeated coincidence turn on some lights in your in your eyes?
2: You know, I mean, if they did turn on lights, I think I turned them off pretty quickly. Again, that goes back to what I perceive as the power of denial. Is like, you know, first and foremost, you see what you want to see. And I think, obviously, I learned that you know, I learned how to be in denial from my family, but I think I, too, was in denial. Okay. You know, so I really do believe you can kind of pay attention to what you want to pay attention to.
0: When you talk about being in denial, uh, Lacey Schwartz, what was your age at that time?
2: I mean, I think my denial, though, as I said, there's different phases, so I think my denial ran until I really found out the truth at 18. You know, uh, so the breakdown, what I look at is the different phases, is, um, you know, the first phase is like, You know, before you're lying to other people, you really lie to yourself. You convince yourself to believe what you want to believe. And I think that that happened with me. Um, And I think that that lasted really until my parents broke up. And then I think the next phase is when, you know, deep down you know the truth, but you're not willing to admit it to anybody else. And I think for me, that phase was from um, the time my parents split up until after I came home at the end of my freshman year of college and asked my mother why I looked the way I did.
0: So that uh, question presented to her is part of the film.
1: I came home from my freshman year of college and I decided that I was going to ask my mother why I looked the way I did.
3: Lacey came to me and said, we have to talk. It was like, oh,
1: no. I'm scared. She initially didn't want to talk to me about it. She told me she couldn't do it at that time. She had to do something else first. My reaction was, please make her be quiet. Make her stop for a while. And I told her I had to talk about it. I wanted to talk about why it looked the way it did. Lacey would ask, how come you never talked to me about it? How come nobody ever talked to me about it? And I said to her, Mom, you have to tell me how come nobody saw that I was different? How come nobody thought enough to come to me and say I know the truth? And for whatever reason I decided that was the moment. She was pinning me and she wasn't letting me go. So she sat me down and she said, the truth is I had an affair with Rodney. And there's a good chance that he's your biological father. I had known Rodney for as long as I can remember. My mom had met him when she was 21 and working at a city playground back in Brooklyn. Rodney was the king of that park. And when someone wrote a book about it, he became kind of a celebrity.
3: 40-year-old Rodney Parker has helped a few realize their dreams of becoming pros. He does promotional work in city parks for a sneaker company, but on the side, works as a freelance scout, apparently for no pay. Jim McMillan, forward of the New York Knicks, is his most noted discovery. Players I help basically are the underground players, the players that nobody really, you know, looks at. The kid that's playing in the playground happens to have a little more skill than the other kid playing in the playground.
1: As a child, as far as I knew, Rodney was a ticket scalper. So he usually showed up when my mom and I would go into the city for a show or a concert. A couple times he even got me, my mom and my dad tickets to a Knicks game.
3: How do you have a daughter with another man who clearly doesn't look like anybody in the family? She has the remarkable ability to look away from things and therefore they don't happen, they don't exist, they're not real.
0: and I remember sitting at the table and some family function with Rodney and your mother, and it being so apparent that this was your father. From my eyes, you know, I mean, it it just seemed so clear. And I remember your father talking about how he had drank a lot the night before, and Rodney couldn't believe that he went out for a run that morning. And I'm like, (laughs) dude. That's what you couldn't believe?
3: That was so weird. <laughs> that was about as blatantly throwing it in people's faces as you could do and and having people look away.
1: My mom had been lying to me and everyone else for my entire life. It seemed pretty obvious to me that the affair had to be a factor in my parents' divorce.
2: So as you can see, I had gotten to a point where, as I said before, like I had been clearly been in denial for a long time, but I was ready to get some answers. And I came to my mother with that and really wanted to have, you know, discussions of why did I really look the way that I did? And so, and she had, as she talks about in the film, she had some initial resistance to that conversation. So it was frustrating.
0: What overcame her resistance? (laughs)
2: Me me keeping on pushing.
0: You didn't really talk about it with your father until many years later.
1: Right, yeah. Dad, I really want to talk to you. When I... I mean, there's a lot to talk about, and I think that, you know... I would say, God... I mean, it's two conversations. There's certain things that I, I'm being a little bit vague for a second, but there's certain things that I, want, I would like to talk to you about, but there's a difference between saying what I'd like to do and what I need to do. And one of the things that I've realized that I need to say is I need to openly acknowledge to you that I identify as a black woman.
3: What a surprise.
1: But I've never said that to you, Dad. Right, well, you didn't have to. And the reason I, I see
3: the books you read, I see the, the relationships you have, I see the music you like, I see the, uh, the entertainment realm that appeals to you. Okay. What else is new? I knew that.
1: In the end, I just felt dismissed by him. Like he didn't. Like maybe he was ashamed of me. Like he didn't want to. He wasn't willing to go there with me. And I felt like I so desperately needed to understand. I mean, Dad. It's no secret that Mommy had an affair. Did she ever tell you she did?
3: She never talked to me even about that. And da 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 and life goes on. Her merry way of poor communication and chaos, and and, and, I mean, don't you think she should have told me?
1: Yeah. But my question for you is, you know, once you and mommy got divorced, why did you never talk to me about not being my biological father? About what? about not being my biological father. Why did you never talk to me? it was
3: mommy's business. I didn't have a clue, Lace. I would always tell people, oh yeah, my grandfather's Italian, why Lacey looks like she does. And I believed it. I didn't tell you because I didn't know till you were age 16. Talk about betrayal, it's the ultimate. Cheat on your husband, okay, that's pretty bad. Don't tell him that you're having somebody else's child for 16 years or forever, for that matter. She still hasn't told me, but we all know. I mean, talk about the ultimate betrayal. Talk about the ultimate betrayal. Just think about that.
2: At the time I didn't talk to my father because I was really kind of afraid of his reaction and and didn't wasn't didn't feel completely prepared to do so yet. And so when I did end up, I mean. I mean, that's pretty much what the film is largely about, is the motivation to uncover these family secrets, very much so with my father, but really with my whole family. I felt like I was being held back by it. Like I couldn't move forward with my own life. I couldn't start my own family. These are obviously, you know, I talk about this very much in the beginning of the film and throughout, it's feeling like I was being held back by not being able to talk about these issues with my entire family, but most specifically with my father.
0: Reaching in. If I may, to the emotional and, and psychological uh, consequences of that conversation, could you share those uh, with us? Your personal insights and in, in your relationship with your father.
2: Um, the consequences. Well, I mean, I think that you know, I think because I'm through the process, and that's very, it's it's hard for me to, you know, the the process was a process, and I think that more than anything, I had a lot of anxiety about having those conversations as I just said, and it was what held me back from doing so for a long time and I had really built those conversations up in my head as very scary and very afraid of what the outcome might be and um, I'll say this now, having gone through them and again that's very much what this one follows is that is the process of doing that is I'm not going to say the conversations were easy for me or probably for him either, but I do think that they were Easier than I ever anticipated them being. Like I had built them up in my head to be much more difficult than than they were. And you know, now them having been had and it all being kind of we've we've gone past. And I think that it's been incredibly positive because I was carrying, as I said, I was carrying so much anxiety around for so long about it that it's allowed us to connect without that anxiety being present.
0: Had you ever considered? how your childhood would have been if the knowledge of who your biological father had been revealed much earlier in your life?
2: Yeah, i I've certainly, you know, to a certain degree, the question has crossed my mind. But generally speaking, and I get a lot of questions about, like, kind of hypotheticals of, like, what if this had been? How would your life have been? But I think a big part of my story and many other people's stories as well is kind of about accepting your story for what it is. You know, not kind of this like could have, should have, would have hypothetical, but really just being okay with what it is when it is. And so generally speaking, I, the answer is I, it's, the question has crossed my mind, but I haven't really engaged it.
0: In this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Lacey Schwartz, the producer and director of a film about her life growing up and realizing that she looked a little different from some of her other family members. And when she was 18, she obtained the truth from her mother that uh, her father, a white man, was not her biological father, who was a black man. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Lacey, I understand now that you have twins. Yes. And how are they being raised in the in the Concept of your experience, a Jewish woman uh, retaining the name Schwartz, which means black, and your experience being half black, half white?
2: My kids are being raised to be who they are. I mean, I, my husband is black. He's not Jewish, um, black American. You know, I, they're being raised to know who they are completely and totally. My husband's not particularly religious, but his parents are. And so we are raising them to be Jewish and know, know their. Jewish identity, but also to know the other parts of themselves as well. And I think that, you know, for me, it's really about having conversations. It's not about painting an overly idealized, you know, portrait of the world to my children. It's more about, you know, raising them to know who they are, to be confident, but also to not shelter them from things.
0: So, in not sheltering them in this uh, time, 2014, 2015, a lot of attention is being brought particularly in the relationship of police to young black men. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you address or may be addressing in the future with your children?
2: Yeah, of course. I and mean, I think it's uh, it's hard for me to imagine. I think every parent of black male children feels like they would be doing their children a disservice if they weren't in 2015. And my kids are super young, so who knows, you know. But I think that as my kids get older, i would be doing a disservice to, them to not be teaching them how to act if they are pulled over while driving or stopped when walking down the street or approached in any way by a police officer.
0: So in the stories online about your movie, Little White Lie, you say that the problem is that we live in a segregated society and the issue is the solution open and honest conversation about the fact that we live in a segregated society. And that's a lot of what we're currently doing here at Radio Curious. Mm -hmm. How are you manifesting on a micro and a macro scale of the open and honest conversation about race in our society in America now?
2: Well, I think that like my film is really a... um tool for dialogue I look at it as families are the building blocks of society so if we're not having conversations within families about you know our identities and the true stories and various issues then it's really difficult to go out in the world and talk openly and honestly about what you're going through and experiencing and it's not just families it's also you know in particular families but really in, in intimate spaces so the film I look at is, is what I'm doing in the film is I'm modeling the process of having those conversations the struggle to do so, but then the reward for doing so, and so I really look at it as the film can be used as a tool of like here's an example of how you can do this. You can ponder the process, and then you can, you know, and then you can um, can use it to have the, to have conversations that you need to have.
0: Lacey Schwartz, you use the word uh, tool as a way to implement the conversation. For our listeners, what are some of the tools that could be used that you're using now for example?
2: I'd just say it's a hard question for me to answer because the whole point of what I'm doing is actually people using the film as the first step. So I think people would have, it's it's hard for me to, you know, to like we have a website that we've built at littlewhiteliethefilm.com. It's littlewhitelie singular thefilm.com. And on there, we have different resources that we're posting, and we have ways that other people can share their little white lies, and we are building out conversation clubs and conversation toolkits that people can use to have these conversations. But, but because it's part of this project that starts with the film, it really is relying on and kind of people seeing the film as a first step. But that's definitely something that people can check
0: out. What are some of the tools that can be used? To deal with the issues, uh, the open and honest conversation about our segregated society.
2: I think it's hard to have like quick takeaway tools that people can just like go and use. It's just not that easy. I mean, I think what I'm doing in the film and in my story is I'm rather than kind of just putting the blame on other people, I'm kind of sticking in and trying to understand it myself and expand my own mind of both how to embrace my dual identity of being black and Jewish when I grew up with being. Jewish was synonymous with being white and I'm also doing the hard work to actually uncover my family's secrets so I think it really is about kind of taking on these conversations in a bigger sense.
0: Bigger by community or bigger from the greater concept within one's own relationship?
2: Yeah, I think within one's own relationship of really kind of identifying, you know, being really honest with yourself about where you fit into the conversation. You know, not just learning about others or putting it on this like, you know, this externalization of it, but really looking inside of where you fit into the conversation.
0: Well, Lacey Schwartz, you've revealed a lot about yourself in, in the film, Little White Lie. Can you tell us more about your personal conversation, the efforts that you in which you currently engage to deal with the uh, subject of our segregated society?
2: I made a film and I do a ton of outreach around it. I also work an organization actually based out of the Bay Area called shown that works around racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity in the Jewish community, and I do a lot of work in terms of education and leadership building and community building around
0: those issues. And you also run Truth Aid. You're the CEO uh-huh. of yeah. that organization.
2: Yeah, and that's where we do the production and the outreach and all of that.
0: With your mission uh, to be to inspire social change by producing multimedia content that reveals the underrepresented perspectives. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other projects that you're working on uh, through Truth Aid?
2: We've also created a film called The Fred. It's a fiction, fictional film based on a true story. It takes place in Ethiopia about two courageous women who fought against the system. And it, we're doing a lot of outreach around that film dealing with child marriage.
0: Lacey Schwartz, tell us about an aha or eureka moment in your life that changed your view of your life or the path that you decided to choose.
2: Well, I think probably the biggest one would be when I decided to become a filmmaker. Uh, I, w- I went to law school and I was, I was you know, studying to become a lawyer, obviously. And I thought I wanted to be a civil rights litigator or an entertainment lawyer doing transactional work. And when I got to law school, I decided that I was going... I really was drawn to, like... i had been taking film class before and taking other media classes, but I really felt like I wanted to talk about the issues that I cared about using film. And so I decided to do my third-year paper as a film. Instead, I got permission from the law school to do that. And that was... When I started working on that project and I started getting more involved in film, that was the moment for me when I realized, wow, this is really what I want to spend my life doing, not practicing law, and then I never
0: ended up practicing. Maybe you just answered the next question, (laughs) which is, what would you like to do with the rest of your One Precious Life?
2: Um, You know, I'm, I'm kind of going pretty hard into what I want to do right now, um, you know, I want to—I look at myself as a storyteller and somebody who uses all different forms of media, both written and, you know, speaking and all sorts of different things to inspire people to think about issues and make change, have conversation. And so what I'm doing right now is what I want to, at least at this point, continue to work.
0: And finally, Lacey Schwartz, is there a film or a book that you could recommend to our listeners?
2: Well, I will say that our next project is— um, a documentary series based on a book called How It Feels to be Free, and it's about female, black female performers during the Civil Rights Movement and how they were activists both on and off the stage and screen. And we want to use this project to have conversations about, you know, the images of black women even today and the history of it and how it's progressed and how it hasn't progressed. Uh, So that is a book that we've optioned we're going to do a documentary, so I guess I could recommend that book as a book that people should check out and then stay tuned for our next project.
0: How It Feels to be Free, and Mm -hmm. the author is? Ruth Feldstein. Well, Lacey Schwartz, I want to thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious.
2: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Lacey Schwartz is the producer and director of the film Little White Lie, whose website is Film.com. Little White Lie will be shown at the Mendocino Film Festival on Friday, May 29, 2015 at 5.30 p.m. in the village of Mendocino, California. The book Lacey Schwartz recommends is How It Feels to be Free, Black Women Entertainers, and the Civil Rights Movement by Ruth Feldstein. This program was recorded on May 11th, 2015. There are over 500 editions of Radio Curious on our website, radiocurious.org. They're free to listen, download, and share as you wish. The email address is curious at radiocurious.org or snail mail at 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah. That's U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. And the phone is 707-462-6541. Christina Anestad is the assistant producer, and I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.